Every year it's just a, a distinct privilege and pleasure to be able to be with you. Janet and I look forward every year to this blessed privilege, and it would be remiss of me if I did not thank the elders or the powers that be for the invitation. Statisticians tell us that there are probably about 7 billion souls that grace the face of planet Earth. People from 150 countries who speak no telling how many languages and dialects, and yet all of that 7 billion people would tell you if you were to ask them that there is one common universal longing, and that is to be happy. From the plains of Kenya to the jungles of Africa or Brazil, from Chicago, USA to Tokyo, Japan to Sydney, Australia, all people want one thing, to be happy. If you examine the goals of people, whether it would be to get more money, have a better job, a more lovely home, to have success, companionship, whatever it is, they really want all of that so that they could feel or be happy. And yet, ironically, when they get these things, so many times they are not happy. And maybe the answer to that is found in the book of Ecclesiastes, as the song of, uh, as, as Solomon is uh, sets about trying to find happiness, and there will be a phrase there used 29 times in that inspired book of Ecclesiastes, and that's the phrase "under the sun." Happiness cannot be found in anything under the sun. With that understood. We need to realize that there are some other things involved if we are going to be happy. The sad truth is, some people do not believe that they deserve to be happy. And so we sabotage our happiness. We beat our head against a wall, so to speak, as we say, Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Can I do anything right? And, and we start hurting ourselves. And while we need to learn from our mistakes, we will never be happy if we dwell on those negative issues. Today, I want to challenge us with the thought, happiness is a choice. And I apologize right now. I spent considerable time working on PowerPoint presentation for the sermon this morning as well as the one this evening, and I have a good forgetter, and it works overtime. And I thought I had dropped that, that little zip drive in my coat pocket, and even as I was studying, I said, well, it's there. Well, it isn't. <laughs> and so I apologize. There is no PowerPoint even though I spent considerable time getting it ready, uh, it will not be. 
There are four major points, and normally I don't run off material for a, a, a crowd this size. Normally, uh, for many years, I have had outlines that I pass out, and people can follow the outlines with me. But today, you're going to have to take your own notes. There are four major points that I think we need to recognize We need to be willing to examine ourselves. We need to be willing to make changes and do the things that make for happiness. The first is to have a very optimistic and positive attitude. Uh, We're talking attitudes, and the Proverbs uh, speak repeatedly of attitudes that will help us in this happiness. I've got three to begin with. Uh, The first one is Proverbs 17 and verse 22. That passage says, A cheerful, one translation says joyful, heart is good medicine. But a broken spirit or a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Now, it's one thing to exegete a passage. It's one thing to, uh, to offer a divine commentary on a passage. And it's quite another to illustrate it. And I think an illustration sometimes is stronger and more dynamic than uh, trying to explain uh, the wording and all of that. So that's what I've chosen to do. And I want to tell you about a woman by the name of Eula Wheeler. She, in fact, her picture was in several of the national uh, newspapers. She's 88 years young. I chose that last word on purpose. Eighty-eight years young. The picture showed her in a jogging suit, and she jogs one mile every day. Eighty-eight years young. Her story, though, is that at the age of 77, she had a stroke. And she could very well have reasoned, well, I'm just three years under, uh, uh, short of that uh, 80, and so I'll just lay here and die. And her doctor told her, you've got two choices. You can either uh, lay here and be an invalid, or you can get up and begin walking. Well, now, let me say this first of all. I realize that not uh, every stroke it can be dealt with the way Eula dealt with hers. My own mother had a stroke and for the last two years of her life could not walk or talk. And I understand that, but Eula, hers was not that debilitating. And so she determined that she was going to get up and she did indeed because of her very positive attitude. She began to walk and the such and finally took up jogging and, uh, Uh, When that article was written, that woman was uh, a star, as far as I'm concerned. Now, that's Proverbs 17, verse 22. Proverbs 18 and verse 14 will add to that, A man's spirit sustains him in sickness, but a broken spirit who can bear. The truth of that proverb was illustrated by a man in a wheelchair rolling through a crowd with the power of his own arms and singing. A man heard him and stopped him, saying, To see a man in a wheelchair singing lifts everybody's spirits. 
And that man then shared his philosophy of life. He said, when I looked, I looked at what I lost, but when I looked at what all I had left, I could not help but sing. And I think it is a matter of attitude. Now, let's add to that Proverbs 15 and verse 15. It says, a cheerful heart has a continual feast. So let me say that it's not our circumstances that's going to determine our happiness. It's our attitude. Charles Swindoll, 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 boy, there went back to me a long ways to Sylvia, Kansas. Woo! Okay, Charles Swindoll of the Focus on the Family fame has written the following concerning attitude. I've got, I'd like to just read it for you. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we'll embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it, and so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. This is not just a Pollyanna sermon. I recognize that happiness can sometimes be dampened by the things that happen. And I think we need to sometimes have a reality check and realize that this is no fairy tale world that we live in. Real People's stories don't always have a they lived happily ever after ending. Little girls playing with their dolls so sweet and innocently can grow up and bear and then bury their children. And little boys playing cowboys, and all of those things can grow up and develop debilitating diseases, or they can have an accident, or there can be other things that keep them from living without pain or that can keep them from even growing up at all. A man by the name of Michael Leboeuf in his book, Imagineering, said, Despite the greatest efforts of governments, clergymen, judges, and the like, life isn't fair and never will be. So I'm not just saying, oh, well, everything is going to be just great. You just have a right attitude. But I am saying attitude can help. And it is an art and not a science. It is a quality that we need to create, and it is not an accident. 
Happiness is what happens in us and not what happens to us. Inner character and not outer circumstances. It is not single in nature. It is a mosaic made up of a lot of parts, a lot of different things that uh, are brought into uh, play here. Joe Barnett, in his book, I Want to Be Happy, tells of Blunden, a French-Canadian broadcaster who had traveled to Sweden, the People's Republic of, Na uh, of China, and many points in between, he interviewed more than 600 persons of different colors, nations, and languages, and he asked them one question. What is happiness? And the answer was much the same everywhere. Blondin saw a pattern developing. Money didn't seem terribly important to happy people. And happy-go-lucky people, well, deep down inside, they weren't as happy as people might think. Blondin concluded that people are happy because of who they are and not because of what they have. Their happiness is strongly rooted in inner values, not outer circumstances. They're happy because they are in control of themselves and because they're willing to change. They're happy because they can become totally absorbed in their families, their friends, causes they believe in, and their work. They're happy because they see themselves as a part of something bigger than themselves. After all his travels and his interviews, London reached the conclusion that truly happy people are happy because of their inner stability, not their outer security. No matter how much money they make, how big a house they live in, how well known they are, or how much power they hold, people are happy only if they have peace within. Inter, inner peace provides a foundation for life that may be buffeted by fierce storms, but seldom cracks. Human happiness occurs in direct proportion to our determination to be happy. Some of you have heard of Zig Ziglar. I got to hear him speak in Kansas City many years ago. And one time, he's a, he's a, a well-known proponent of positive thinking. But one time, his flight was canceled from Kansas City to Dallas. And he told the flight attendant who informed him of that, you can cancel my flight, but you cannot cancel my day. And I think that that's a good attitude. Uh, yeah, things are going to happen. But I'm not going to let you cancel my day. A man that I baptized in Salina many years ago sent me uh, a, an email, and I would like to just share it with you. I have quoted this man in this, in this uh, uh, story uh, fairly regularly, and I think that you will too. There will be at least a phrase here that you'll take home with you from uh, this story. True story now. Jerry was the best restaurant manager I ever knew. He was the kind of guy you love to hate. <laughs> he was always in a good mood, always had something positive to say. When someone would ask him uh, how he was doing, he would reply, If I were any better, I would be twins. You get that one? That's the one that I had. <laughs> if I were any better, I'd be twins. All right. He was a unique manager because he had several waiters 
who had followed him around the country from restaurant to restaurant. The reason they followed Jerry was because of his attitude. He was a natural motivator. If an employee was having a bad day, Jerry was there telling the employees how to look on the positive side of the situation. Seeing this style really made me curious. So one day, I went to Jerry and asked him, I don't get it. You can't be positive all the time. How do you do it? Jerry replied, each morning I wake up, I say to myself, Jerry, you have two choices today. You can choose to be in a good mood or you can choose to be in a bad mood. I choose to be in a good mood. Each time uh, something bad happens, I can choose to be a victim or I can choose to learn from it. I choose to learn from it. Every time somebody, someone comes to me complaining, I can choose to accept their complaining or I can point out the positive side. I choose to point out the positive side. Yeah, it's uh, not that easy, I protested. Yes, it is, Jerry said. Life is all about choices. You can cut away all the junk. Every situation is a choice. You choose how you react to the situation. You choose how people affect your mood. You choose to be in a good mood or a bad mood. The bottom line is it's your choice. I reflected on what Jerry said. Soon after, I left the restaurant industry and started my own business. We lost touch, but I often thought of him when I made a choice about life instead of reacting to it. Several years later, I heard that Jerry did something you're never supposed to do in a restaurant business. He left the back door open one morning and was held up at gunpoint by three armed robbers. While trying to open the safe, his hand shaking from nervousness slipped off the combination. The robbers panicked and shot him. Luckily, Jerry was found relatively quickly and rushed to the local trauma center. After 18 hours of surgery and weeks of intensive care, Jerry was released from the hospital with fragments of the bullet still in his body. I saw Jerry about six months after the incident. When I uh, asked him how he was, he said, If I were any better, I'd be twins. Want to see my scars? I declined to see his wounds, but did ask him what had gone through his mind as the robbery took place. Well, the first thing that went through my mind was, I should have locked the back door. <laughs> Jerry replied, as I lay on the floor, I remember that I had two choices. I could choose to live or I could choose to die. I chose to live. Weren't you scared? Did you lose consciousness, I asked. Jerry continued, the paramedics were great. They kept telling me I was doing fine, but when they wheeled me in the emergency room, and I saw the expression on the faces of the doctors and nurses. I really got scared. In their eyes, I read, he's a dead man. I knew I needed to take action. Well, what did you do, I asked. Well, there was a big burly nurse shouting questions at me. She asked if I was allergic to anything. I replied, yes. Doctors and nurses stopped working and waited for my reply. I took a big breath and yelled, Bullets! Over their laughter, I told them, I'm choosing to live. Operate on me as if I'm alive, not dead. Jerry lived thanks to the skill of his doctors, but also thanks to his amazing attitude. I learned from him that day that every day you have choices to live fully. Attitude, after all, is everything. So, number one, attitude. Choose to be optimistic and uh, positive. Number two, Choose a sense of humor. Uh, Elton Albright, or Elton Trueblood, in the book The Humor of Christ, wrote, Christ's major defense against the Pharisaic attack was laughter, and he used it fully. 
William Barclay tells of his boy coming home from school and announcing, uh, we had a new Indian girl at school today. And William asks his, his uh, son, well, does she speak English? And his son says, no, but she laughs in English. I think that's good. That, that's right. That's what we need to recognize, the positives. Dr. William Fry of Stanford Medical School said, Humor stirs the insides and gets the endocrine system going, which can be quite beneficial in alleviating disease. And so, if you're in a wheelchair, we got some of those here today. you got to use a walker. Or you look in the mirror and you go, where did my hair go? Or you reach a certain age and you're going, I'm not young anymore. Or your child leaves home and it's the emptiness syndrome. And like my father told my mother, it's just like a morgue around here. Whatever it is. Remember this. If you have a negative attitude, you're going to drive people away. If you have a positive attitude, you're going to draw people. Choose a sense of humor. Tonight, my sermon is going to be, Are You Fun to Live With? And I'm going to plug that one right now. But in that, I've also got, I'm quoting my wife, because she has a philosophy. Those who know her know that this is true. She has a philosophy that has affected me. Now, if something goes wrong, I'm pretty excited and I can get pretty uh, negative pretty fast. But my wife will be over there laughing and It's true. And her philosophy is, if you can laugh at it, you can live with it. Now, take that one home. Uh, That is very true. You determine that you're going to let laughter be the salt to your eggs. You're going to let laughter stir your blood and expand your chest. I've got to hurry on. Choose number three, meaningful activity. Begin setting up exercises in happiness. I started this years ago. And you would be surprised. I still am able from time to time to find things to thank God for that I've never thanked Him for before. I don't care if it's the belt that holds up your pants or a new uh, razor to shave your face. I... Just look for little things. It might be just a new bud on your, on your rose plant. Look for something you have never thanked God before and thank Him. That is your attitude. A meaningful exercise in thanksgiving. Now, I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek, but I read this, so I'm going to share it with you. If your wife nags you, don't forget sometimes she sleeps. And if your husband or your children drive you up a wall, well, be thankful sometimes he goes to work and sometimes your children go to school. What I'm telling you is, determine you're going to build your house on it's the sunny side of the street. That used to be a song I used to sing and play. I played my guitar. And, uh, and we sang the song, you know, on the sunny side of the street. And just determine that's what you're going to do. Uh, yes, happiness is a choice. Choose to be interested in other people. And here's another thought. To serve other people. 
None of us wants to live separated, lonely lives. Well, let me tell you about Alice. Another true story. Alice was in a rest home. Her family did not come and see her very much. And uh, so she commented to one of the workers one day, said, oh, nobody is interested in me. And the worker pointed out to her, you have a whole a home full of people that would be your friend if you just reach out to them. Well, she thought about that for a little while. She brooded over it, and she decided that was right. So she would begin to reach out to other people. Well, earlier she had been able to, to develop her skills to, be, uh, to paint little pictures. So she decided, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to paint these little pictures and give to people when they have their birthday. Well, she started doing that, and you know what? Her personality took on a radiance it had not had in years. And it wasn't very long until she was the most loved person in that rest home, and I'm sure she was the happiest. I'm telling you, people, you start serving other people, you start losing yourself in other people, you you stop having your pity parties, you'll find yourself to be a lot happier. I don't know if any of you have heard of Dr. Leo Biscaglia. He wrote the book, Living, Learning, and Loving. I have the book, and I got what I'm getting ready to, uh, to tell you from that book. It, it's in print. And so this is a true story. Uh, <clears throat> Dr. Biscaglia is um, a professor at the University of Southern California. And in one of his classes, he has an assignment to his students that they need and it's mandatory that they have to go do something for somebody and uh, it has to be documented and reported back. Well, there was this uh, one man, uh, Joel, in his class who, uh, who said, well, what is there to do? And Dr. Biscalia, looking at him, decided he would make him a test case. He said, go with me. And he took him to a rest home that was just adjacent to the uh, to the uh, university campus. And, uh, and they walked in, and there were people, as you know, if you've been in rest homes, uh, people laying in, in, uh, in, in cotton gowns and such, uh, uh, lonely and afraid and all of that. And, and uh, uh, Dr. Biscalia said, you see that woman over there? Go say hello to her. And, and he said, basically, I don't know anything about gerontology. What did I say? He said, just say Hello. So Joel went over to her and said, hello. And she looked at him and says, are you a relative? He said, no. She says, good. I hate relatives. Sit down. (laughs) He started going back every week. And changes started happening. The ladies started fixing up their hair on Joel Day. And they would dress up on Joel Day. And Dr. Viscalia said that one day he was walking across the campus and he saw a strange sight. There were about 30 of those friends shuffling down the sidewalk. Joel was at the head of them and he was taking them to a football game. (laughs) And Dr. Biscalia said, that scene was the greatest triumph in my educational career. And that's how Joel found happiness. What I'm telling you is, you start serving other people, get yourself out of yourself, and you will be happy. But there's a last major point. 
We cannot be happy unless we are close to God. A clear lesson of history is that we cannot be happy until we deal with the God dimension. Proverbs 29 and verse 18 says, Happy is he who keeps the law. Proverbs 8 and verse 32 says, Blessed are they who keep my ways. To be truly happy, we must have the assurance that sins are forgiven because I'm here to tell you that guilt and happiness do not mix. 1 John 3 verse 4 says that sin is transgression of the law. And Proverbs 13 verse 15, I still like the King James on this one. The King James uh, says that the way of the transgressor is hard. Another translation will say the way of the unfaithful leads to destruction. Yes, you cannot be happy and have sin on your soul. And so, I'm suggesting to you, you better get right with the Lord. You do it the way the Lord said. And then, you can have peace that passes understanding. Philippians 4 and verse 6. I hope that the sermon this morning has struck a chord with you because I know you want to be happy and I've tried to help you to see that you can. But one last proverb, Proverbs 28 and verse 13, He who hides his sins shall not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. And so I suggest to you Take care of your sin problem. If you need to obey the gospel, there is no better time than this. To be willing to humble or surrender yourself, to let the Lord become your Lord. To be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins and to be raised to walk in that newness of life. Or if things are not right, you've already done that, but you've not been pursuing the uh, the things the Lord wants you to, to pursue, and you need to confess sin, or just ask prayers for strength to put into practice the things you know you need to do. Whatever your, your need might be, we would encourage you to come. All together we stand and while we sing.